Are you ready to study God's Word? Brand new year. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. I'm going to be reading out of that first chapter of Daniel. And as you're uh, making your way and finding that, if... uh, By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we we have lots of Bibles that we'd be more than happy to give you one if you don't have one and would like one. Um, If for whatever reason you forgot it, that can happen. We we put it up on the screen as well. But I encourage you, get your Bible, wear it out, tear the pages. I mean, just just use it up and uh, it's God's voice to us. As you're finding Daniel, um, I don't know that I was going to mention anything about this, but... uh, I'm going to go ahead and do that. Uh, I was recently published with a little article in Charisma magazine. I had written, I had written a review of an earlier article back in November concerning um, just some church life philosophy, and the the title of the article was "How to Be Charismatic Without Being Crazy." And uh, there were just some things and and some issues that that particular article brought up to me, and so I, I wrote a review on it. And uh, I just sent it in to Charisma, and they decided that they would publish it, and they did in this past January issue. And uh, I'm honored that they would do that. I, I don't know that they printed, but about a third of it. It was edited, and, and I appreciate their editing. It was, it was done in an appropriate way. I have no beef with their fairness with regards to their editing. But I did put on my blog site, which is linked to the website, uh, the full review, uh, because if there was something that sounded disconnected or it didn't sound like the thought was fully uh, elaborated on, you could go to the website and then link to the blog and you could read the full review that I wrote. And sometimes uh, when you read the full text, uh, it makes a little more sense than the edited one. But the point of the review and, and really to some extent what God is calling me to, I guess, if for lack of a better term, is that I'm really challenged in the days we are living in, especially with regards to church life, as to when accommodation turns into compromise. Now, I believe that there's an appropriate place for accommodation. I'll just give you examples of it. For instance, uh, uh, people who have uh, handicap needs, they need a handicap ramp to go up. And you accommodate that. Or maybe someone has a hearing problem, and so you accommodate them by getting them a closer seat up front. There's an appropriate place for some accommodations. Um, I know when I'm getting on airplanes, they call uh, people to be seated in certain zones and sections, but before they even do that, they try to accommodate mothers with children and get them corralled and on the plane first. And, And so accommodation has its place with regards to just being kind and nice to each other. I believe there's probably a place of accommodating those who probably aren't used to church life, who aren't used to hearing uh, biblical phrases or the gospel, and they're just kind of confused or they don't understand all that we've grown accustomed to. And so there are certain things we do uh, with which to accommodate that. And I think that there's an appropriate place for that. But, but accommodation, if you're not careful, slips into compromise. Now, when I use the word compromise... I know that, for instance, uh, those of you that are married know that in order to be successfully married, um, you have to learn the art of compromise. You compromise, for instance, if you want to go to one restaurant and your wife wants to go to another or vice versa, you got to figure out how to compromise that thing. 
<laughs> or you go down to the food mall and everybody gets their choice down there, you know, at the at the Citadel Mall. Uh, you know, if you're watching TV and you've got the remote, instead of having remote wars, you compromise on a television show. I mean, all of these things, I think you understand, have their place. But there comes a moment that that accommodation or compromise, when it begins to touch your principles, your precepts, especially God's word, then it becomes a very dangerous thing. You're out of bounds. And I believe that last week when I spoke to you about stepping into your future, I, I believe it was a word for you, a word for the church. But that doesn't mean you're going to be sprung from your challenging or hostile environments that some of you are going to have to still face in this brand new year. Your victory in 2011 is going to hinge on how you approach a hostile, potentially adverse environment that you right now find yourself in. And, and this is how it all fits together. The question is, do you, do you really believe you're going to find your way to blessing through compromise? Or will you find your way to blessing because you adhere to what God says you need to do in order to see his favor come upon your life? And that's why I want to talk about Daniel's. There's several reasons. Number one is he's the author of the fast, the Daniel fast. But many people don't know what happened behind the scenes of the Daniel fast. And it's an interesting story. And so if you have your Bibles in Daniel chapter one, I want to read to you several verses here. And I've called the message this morning, conquering compromise. And believe me, it's associated to the fast. Conquering compromise. In Daniel chapter one, just bear with me. I'm going to read a number of verses, but it's good to hear God's word read. So just listen carefully to the opening chapters of Daniel when we read. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. So in other words, Nebuchadnezzar carts off everything in God's house and takes it to a false god, a demon temple. Verse 3, Then the king instructed... Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel, some of the king's descendants, and some of the nobles. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. 
So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. And here we get the first inklings of the Daniel fast. And let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. We're going to talk for just a moment or two about conquering compromise. Now, Daniel and his three friends is, I think, a fairly familiar story. And I believe that the book of Daniel is actually an owner's manual on how to conquer compromise. All through Daniel's life, he was consistently confronted with adverse, even hostile situations. He was challenged at this point in order to eat things off a table that he didn't feel like he should be eating off of. Later, we'll find that he's being told that he had to pray to certain idols if he wanted to keep his position within the administration. And we find him uh, continuing to be faithful before his God. All through the book of Daniel, he's confronted with moments where he could have easily compromised or, or accommodated to a place that was unrighteous. Things that were being asked of him, but he determined that he would not do this. And the most important thing about Daniel's life is this, that as you read about his life, as he stands firm and as he stands true to those things that God has asked him to do, he finds himself favored in administration after administration after administration, literally four different administrations Daniel serves under, and he finds favor in all of those administrations. And he finds favor not through his accommodation and compromise, but he finds favor because he decides he will stand and honor his God. Now, this is the part we're going to have to get for 2011. Because God is going to favor you. He's going to bless you. He, he has thoughts, remember, towards you. He wants to give you a great year, the year you've been waiting for all of your life. But don't think for a moment that he's just going to eject you out of your hostile situation, out of your adverse circumstance, and, and that somehow you're going to go off to some utopia that it will be easy or easier for him to do these things. No, he's going to put you in the middle of a tough place and you're going to have to learn what it means to trust him in that adverse place. I believe God is going to do the incredible. The question is, will you wait for his favor? Now, let's understand for a moment the pressure of Babylon. Let's, let's make, try to make this contemporary. Understand the pressure of Babylon. The Bible tells us here that Israel had been taken into captivity. The Persians had come and uh, they had attacked Jerusalem and they carted everyone off to what is now, you know, Iraq and Iran. That was Persia of those days. They were being relocated. Anybody here ever been relocated? They were being relocated. And so they're going to Babylon. And Babylon, interestingly, of course, Babylon comes from the story of Babel. As you will recall, building a tower. They were going to reach into the skies and, and touch God by their own efforts. And God came and confused their languages there. That's in the book of Genesis. And Babylon literally means the place of confusion. The place of confusion. I want to ask you, have you ever been in Babylon? 
Have you ever been in a place where you say, why in the world am I here? I mean, what in the world is going on? I didn't sign up for this. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm not hearing God. I'm confused. What in the world's happening? Do you know that America is becoming Babylon not because of all its outbroken, outlandish, and extroverted sins, but America is becoming Babylon simply because we are beginning to live in a confused state. Confusion reigns. We don't know what to do economically. Do you raise taxes or do you lower them? Do you do this or do you do that? Do you print more money? Do you not print more money? Do you take care of the debt or do you raise your debt? I mean, we're just confused. We're bringing them in from Harvard and Yale. We're bringing in the smart guys and they're clueless. We're confused educationally. We send our kids to school and they graduate and they can't read, they can't write. What do we do? Do we throw more money at it? Do we throw less money at it? Do we take them out? Do we keep them in? Do we just school them ourselves? We're confused relationally. We're having trouble understanding that it's, it's boy meets girl. Not boy meets boy. We're confused. We're confused internationally. We look at things internationally and we don't know what to do. How do you fix these problems that have been existing for thousands of years? And our world and our nation needs a voice. And I believe the church can be that voice. And we've been placed in Babylon, but we can't be that voice if we're compromised like the Babylonians. Church, even preachers, even my own clan, act scared. We're becoming timid. We're trying to be life coaches and motivational speakers who, who carefully navigate what they say and how they minister because we don't want to risk alienating our clientele. And so what happens is, is that our pulpits are as confused as the churches. We are compromised. The world needs a pillar to grab a hold of and we're giving them a reed which is breaking in their hand. I mentioned several weeks ago I had a conversation with my older son about what has been labeled emergent or emerging churches. Now, if you don't know anything about it, I don't know that I'd waste my time studying it unless you're just interested in these things. But apparently, uh, there's a whole movement which shows you how out of touch I am with this. I don't, I'm not in that movement, but there's this whole movement. It's called the emergent church. And they never, they never in this particular expression, they never really land because they're trying, you know, they're so busy trying to be relevant with people that they forget that the greatest relevancy is to be relevant with him. And, and, and so, you know, we're just living in an era where everybody likes the questions and it's all about the questions. And, and what happens is, is that we get so we get so intellectual and we get so enamored with ourselves and we get so, we just get so full of ourselves and asking all of these questions that what happens is we're great at asking questions, but we never get any answers and we never land and we refuse to stand on anything. And what happens is, is that people won't take 
just a simple stand on simple things that God's Word says. We, we, we pull a verse here or there out. I've heard that verse, you know, that Paul said, I'll become all things to all people in order that I might save some. You know, you take that verse in isolation and it may mean you become a prostitute to reach prostitutes. Do you think that's God? Well, I don't either. So obviously there's probably more to it than just that phrase. But they say these things in order that you can't, you can't pin any certainty. And if you, if, 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 I, if you can't pin me down, then I can't alienate anybody. If somebody believes this or somebody believes that or somebody believes something wacko, but you aren't really sure what I believe, then anybody can hang around. Because I'm, I'm, I, what I become is I become a politician who what he says is meaningless. He just, he just says these nebulous things and, and he tries to get the greatest group of people who all think they're talking his language. Appeal to the broadest demographic. Live in this compromised gray zone. Hey, it's trendy, but there's no answers. You know, I've often jokingly said, I may not always be right, but one thing you can count on with me, I'm always certain. There's something to be said for certainty. Now, Daniel and his friends were faced in this hostile, adverse environment. They're dealing with the pressures that come from this environment. Come on, some of you right now, you know, you're going tomorrow morning. Some of you are going back to Babylon somewhere. You're facing a hostile environment. You know, the pressures that are going to be brought to bear on your life as you go into that circumstance or situation. And there were four things that he faced. And I think all of us here can relate to this at some level. Number one is they were going to face a hostile culture. These are four pressures. A hostile culture was number one. Remember, they were brought up in Jerusalem, but now they were carted off to Babylon. They were reminded, as you will recall, of God regularly. And now they're surrounded by idols and heathen images. It was relatively easy to live for God in Jerusalem, but now they have to live for the Lord in a place where they can't see any temple of the one true God. They can't see anybody supporting them. It's, it's an incredible pressure cooker because everything around them is, is forcing them to embrace what they see. Some of us in this room grew up in church. In fact, some of us are old enough to remember back to a day when the culture was sympathetic to our Christian beliefs. We can remember nativity scenes in the public arena. We can remember prayer at public schools. We can remember starting football games with invocations. We can remember you could go down to the, to the, to the county uh, 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 council meetings, the city council meetings, the school board meetings, and they'd open up with prayer. We can remember a day when, when everyone was sympathetic to what happened, and we may not have moved anywhere, but Babylon has moved in on us. And there's pressures. The culture isn't sympathetic anymore. It's a hostile culture. You and I are not in the majority. I know what, I know what Gallup says. Don't mistake what I'm about ready to say. Just because 80% of America says they believe in God, we have to ask the next question, which one? It's a hostile culture. That's one of the pressures. Number two, there was an opposing worldview. 
See, Babylon was the exact opposite of Jerusalem. They were, they were going to Babylon and the king had purposed to train them in a new perspective and a new worldview. And this perspective and worldview would not have God as a part of it. You need to understand that whether it's school or a construction site, whether it's politics or whether it's your place of business, God is rarely considered anymore. We live in a world where you can begin to just say evolution and everybody just nods their head. It's not even questioned anymore. When all I have to do is pull out a tadpole and a human being. Just add a gajillion years. And that's what you supposedly get. Nobody, and if you question it, you're considered to be out of step, out of touch, unintelligent. You can't even ask questions that challenge the ludicrous things they try to pawn off on us. And it's because the world, the worldview is no longer our worldview. There's an opposing worldview and everything that's pumped at us is, is trying to change us and school us in the ways of Babylon. That's a pressure. Number three, there was the pressure of constant defilement. The boys were challenged to eat meat. Now understand, you say, well, what's the big deal about eating meat? Well, this meat was sacrificed to the idols of Babylon. So, so when they looked at this meat, they saw that there was an attachment to the things that were defiling and they didn't want to have any part of it. They, they determined that even eating the meat would defile them and so they didn't want to do it. And so they decided at this point to take a stand. Now, now listen to me very carefully. All of us are surrounded by things that we consume that could potentially defile us. I want to ask you, what kind of entertainment will you endure until you finally says that defiles me? I, I mean, I'm not, you say you're, you're meddling. I haven't, I haven't even thrown a movie name out yet. I mean, is there anything that's just over the, over the top? Is there anything that's beyond the pale? Is there anything you would stand up and change the channel on? Anything? They said, this is, this is it. This is a line right here. I, this meat was sacrificed to idols, and we decide we're going to stand on this thing. Is there any music station that you'll turn off? Is, I'm not telling you. You say, you, you're telling us what to listen to? You can listen to anything you want to. My question is simply this. Do you want to find favor, or will you accommodate? And will you compromise? I'm not going to be your Holy Ghost, but I'm sure enough going to let the Holy Ghost talk through me to help touch some things that may need to get touched in 2011. Television, movies, entertainment, we're constantly barraged. What, I mean, what, 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 you know, what goes in? We've got to start asking ourselves, is this edifying me? Is this building me up? Is this making me stronger in him? Is this causing me to attain God's future? Is this leading me to the place he wants me to? Or is this just defiling me and keeping me down? Well, that's what they had to face in Babylon. And then number four, which I thought was most fascinating was that the pressure they faced was that the king wanted to undermine their identity. They were given new names. Isn't that interesting? It was no longer uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but he wanted to change the names to Belshazzar, um, Hananiah, uh, or it was the other way, or was it the other way around? And to, uh, yeah, so they switched it around. All right, Daniel got Belshazzar, Hananiah got Shadrach, Meshach, Mishael got Meshach and Azariah got Abednego. They changed their names. Their Hebrew names 
were one thing, but now they wanted to change their names. And those of you that have studied this area know that the name indicated really what their identity was. So they wanted to give them a Babylonian name. The goal was to change their identity, to change the way they saw themselves. You understand that's a pressure we face in our world. The world's wanting to change the way you see yourself. Can I just share this with you? I am not the world's. I am his. You got to settle that. Whose are you? Are you your peer group? Are you, are you what the, the, the modern trendy thing is? Whose are you? I am his. I was bought with a price. He calls me an heir. He calls me a child of God, accepted in the beloved. Jesus said, I'm a king. I'm a priest. I'm a conqueror. I'm more than triumphant. But that's not what the world wants to label us. It's not what Babylon wants to do with you. Babylon wants to call you something else. And so it gives you people to emulate who are confused people. We're trying to emulate rock stars and entertainers and, and, and Hollywood glitzy people and these reality stars and they're confused, crazy people. And we think somehow that's normal. And what we're trying, and we're trying to figure out how to be like them and our identity is somehow being linked to them. And God's calling us this year to find our identity in Him. We've got to. Don't hook your wagon up to Babylon. It'll lead you off the cliff. You've got to begin to get your identity in the Lord. So how did they do this? How did these boys begin to conquer compromise? Well, as we journey through this next year, there are going to be constant attempts by the enemy to get you to let your guard down. There's going to be constant... I'm just warning you. You know this is true. There's going to be constant pressures to get you to capitulate your standard, to get you to, to yield your destiny, to get you to yield your future. And the good news is this. You can conquer all these challenges. We preach a victorious gospel around here. We believe in victory, not just victory in your finances so you get blessed or victory in your physical body so you get healed. I preach victory, body, soul, and spirit, which means you don't have to trip into the ditch called sin. You can rise up and walk beyond it. See, that's the victorious gospel, see. You don't have to succumb. God is more than enough available for you to be victorious. But how do you do that? How do you... How do you how do you conquer compromise before the, the pressure slaps you into that place? You need to practice some things. Daniel and his friends practiced four things. I hope you write these down. You're probably going to need them for the rest of your life, but most assuredly in the next year. Daniel and his friends practiced four specific disciplines. Number one, he got his heart in order first. It says here in verse 8, I read it to you, it says, Daniel purposed. In his heart. He purposed in his heart. Everything starts in your heart. Your life is really a reflection of your heart. It's not hard to know what's in your heart. All I have to do is watch your life and listen to what you say. Scripture even says, out of the abundance of the heart, what? So all I have to do is hang around and listen to what your conversation is for a little bit. And after a while, I can begin to tell what's in your heart. I can know what's in your heart because... As you live life, whatever's in your heart begins to be lived out in your life. So this is the thing I want everyone to hear. You cannot, you cannot speak 
against the word, you cannot live antithetical to what God says is his way and his plans and say, but God knows my heart. I love him in my heart. If you love him in your heart, first John says, then you'll do what he says you should do. You got to settle it here, though. You got to settle it in the heart first, because because that's how life was meant to be lived. It wasn't meant to be lived under this, this, this burden and constriction. And that's what some people think. People think, I, I, I don't want to be tied down. I don't want to be roped in. I don't want to be hemmed in. And it's just so hard. It's so hard. You know, how you, quit, you know how it quits being hard? You get your heart right. And once the heart's right, it's easy. Because everything emanates from the heart. The Babylonians, listen, could change their homes. They could try to change their diet. They could try to change their names. They could try to re-educate them. But the thing they didn't have was their heart. They couldn't change their heart. And, and America can go down the tubes. America can collapse. And it doesn't have to affect you. Because as long as it doesn't get your heart. You'll be fine. I've watched through the years. I've watched over 27 years now being a pastor. I've watched children go off. Once they've got out of the house and they've either gone on to get jobs, maybe they've gone on to college and then they get out of the house and they're off on their own and all of a sudden they change and they don't live the values of mom and dad and they don't live the way they were taught and they don't do what they were told in their Sunday school classes and from their pastors and, and people ask, well, why, why, why? It's because it never got in their heart. It's got to get in their heart. People get a new job and all of a sudden they get this new job or this new opportunity. And once they get the opportunity, they change. They aren't like they were before and they aren't like what they were supposed to be doing before. And why is it? It's because their heart changed. It never got in your heart. Folks, let me tell you something. If you want to, if you want to keep compromise from happening, you got to get some things in your heart. It's just in my heart. It's who I am. My heart. That's number one. Number two, Daniel and his friends were, I put down here, politely passionate. It's interesting that, that he appeals to uh, the chief of the eunuchs. And uh, as he appeals to the chief of the eunuchs, and I was reading this, it was really a pretty good appeal. And I thought to myself, you know, Daniel had some standards, but, but he was not only righteous, he was polite. You know what? You can maintain your piety and you can be respectful. You don't have to be a mean believer. You can just make your point and smile. No, I don't do happy hour. That was easy, wasn't it? And they look and say, why? And, and, and you can say, you wouldn't please my God. It's just something I've committed before the Lord. Don't go, well, uh, 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 no. Come on, the people are bold about living their their sin, then be bold about living your righteousness. But you can be polite. Be polite. You know, as a pastor, I guess, I have to think about what comes out of my mouth. At least I try. <laughs> and I probably have to a little more than others. You would be amazed at what comes out of Christians' mouths at times. Don't amen until you check yourself. He was politely passionate, politely passionate. He politely appealed. He politely stood. You can be a good spirit and you can still stand for your God. Number three, 
he was unashamed of his convictions. He says, please test your servants here in verse 12 for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. And so Daniel looks at the chief of the eunuchs and he says, we want to go on a fast. I know you're, you're asking things of us. I know you're tapping us for certain jobs within this new kingdom we're in. And before we're going to do any of this, we're just asking that we go on a fast and, and you can just test us in this. That was what I really liked about Daniel. It wasn't, it wasn't like he was hedging or negotiating. He would just say, hey, let us do this and just test us in this and see if what we say isn't true. He was happy to live out in front of a watching world the things he considered to be important. He was not ashamed of his God and the things that he asked of him. You know, I, I'm just telling you, I, I am amazed how, how dedicated Muslims will stop six times a day wherever they're at, unfold their carpet, turn toward Mecca, and spend a few minutes praying. They'll do it on city streets. They'll do it in department stores. They will do it uh, in airport terminals. It just really doesn't matter. They're not ashamed of their God. Now hear me. I'm going to be, I'm a truth and advertiser. If you follow Jesus wholeheartedly, will people make fun of you? Yes. Just get over it. Yes. Yes. But here's what I always say. Just give it a decade and let's see whose life ends up better. Let's just see whose life is stable. I remember in the early years of following Jesus, I had a lot of my friends made fun of me, made fun of me, made fun of me. Unfortunately, some of them are not even around anymore. Tragically. Others' lives have crashed. Thanks to Facebook, you can tune in on everybody's crash now. They make fun of you? Yes, they made fun. The issue isn't what happens in 24 hours. The issue is what does it look like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road? People have laughed at certain convictions that I've held all my life. I've had people, I've had even those that have said they were Christians laugh at the movies that we avoid and won't go to. I've made family members uncomfortable by getting up and leaving movie theaters that I didn't think we could watch anymore. We've turned television shows off. The way we've made our children dress. The way we've made them act. The friends we've allowed in their life. Yes, we monitor their friends. The punishments we've levied. We've had people say, you're too tough, you're too hard, you should do this, you should that, do that. The practices we've mandated. The things we've said you must do. I've heard it all through the years. People make fun of it. Can I just say this? I'll keep my family, thank you. Tracy, I think, I don't think you'd mind me sharing this. You were going down the road with me one time and I remember you were feeling maybe bad. I don't know if I, you were feeling guilty, I think, that uh, your life was good. And she said, you know, I just feel bad. I, I feel like, you know, I have a certain leisure in life and, 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 I, and I feel like I'm, I'm living a good life and, you know, I'm living a standard of life that others don't have. And you know what I did when, when she said that? I looked at her and I said, stop it. Stop it. You and I have made decisions and we have walked out life in a way that has borne certain fruit. Don't feel bad that you've reaped good fruit while others have chosen to make certain decisions in their life and now they're living with the repercussions of it. We, we, we lived, we did our best. I didn't say we were perfect. I've made dumb decisions in my life. I'm not standing up here as the epitome of perfection. Believe me, we've had our challenges. 
But I am saying this, that you begin to make decisions that honor God and seek God's favor and determine you're going to walk it out his way. And there will be certain fruit that will be born because of that. If you want to cut the corners and and live it like the world and do what the world does and you reap the whirlwind, don't be mad at me. We've been humbled in our life. We've been yanked through knot holes, tail first. But life is a reflection of your decisions and your choices. And Daniel finds favor. It says when you get finally to Daniel chapter 6, that he becomes about third in power in all of Babylon. It was because he was of an excellent spirit. And I believe this, that Daniel didn't get there because he just had a good resume and he knew how to network it right. He got there because there was a moment when he stepped into the place of confusion. He looked at a king and he said, I ain't eating your meat. That's when favor came. See, that's the problem. We compromise thinking that somehow God's going to work in the compromise. We've got this convoluted understanding. God moves toward those who believe him and will stand in him. He was unashamed of his convictions. Come on, I'm talking to some of you today. I, I, I feel an anointing here at this point because we're living in a world where four out of seven people get a divorce. And now we're, we're looking at people that want relationship and all the rest. Ladies, men, do not compromise. Stand for God. Because if you compromise in relationship or you compromise in your attachments, I'll guarantee you, you can make it or convolute it in your mind to work it out at that moment. But you'll reap the whirlwind later. Come on now. He was unashamed of his convictions. Unashamed. And finally, number four, he was persistent in that. Persistent. In verse 21. It's interesting. It says here, I didn't read it to you. But it says, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So in other words, Nebuchadnezzar was ruling. And he continued to do these things that we read about in the first chapter until finally Cyrus comes to the throne. Why is that important? Because Daniel did not do this for a week, nor was it just 21 days. But there was a lifetime that he began to put into motion of the things that he was going to stand with his God in that bore him great favor. Daniel was 15 years old in chapter 1. 15 years old. Listen to me. You remember the story when Daniel went and refused to pray, and he, and he was cast into the lion's den? That wasn't two weeks later. He was 80 years old. Daniel is 15. But when he gets to 80 years old, we find the same Daniel. Daniel was the same guy he was when he was 15. He understood about finishing well. I've got young people that are listening to me right now. Right now, I'm just asking you this question. Are you prepared? You need to start preparing, not just for next year. Don't begin to say to yourself, I cannot wait to get out of my parents' house. I cannot wait to be loosed. For some of you, what that loosing will do is it will put you over a cliff. You got a purpose at 15 years of age. You got a purpose in your heart that when you're 80 years of age, that you'll still have the same passion, the same conviction, the same direction, and that there won't be, when someone looks at you and says, won't you pray? Won't you, won't you pray to this idol? Won't you pray to this God? Won't you bow down to this? You simply say, no, politely, no. They look at you and go, why? Just say, doesn't work. Jesus works. 
Jesus is real. I gave my heart away to him years ago. See, I'm a Christian for life. I signed up for a lifetime assignment. I just want to say it out loud. I'm not going through a phase. Some people think you're going through some phase of life. I'm not going through a phase. If this is a phase, then I've done, this, this phase has lasted a long time. 30, 33 years this phase has lasted. I've signed up for a lifetime commitment. This is not some 90-day free trial period. If it doesn't work, I get to get my tithe back or something like that. I, this is not what this is about. This is his life in me. America may change. It may collapse. Everything around you may change and collapse. You may lose your job. You may be laid off. You may be, you may be uh, transferred. You, you, you may have things changed. This is the good news. I can still prosper and thrive and be favored and honored because I am tied to the unchangeable one. I am locked into my God. And if 2011 is going to be the year that you've been waiting for all your life, I will assure you this is the moment that you've got to determine no matter what comes my way this year, I am locked in. I, 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 the only reason I'm unmovable is because I'm locked to the unmovable one. Show me a person who's fallen away from their walk with the Lord and I'll show you a person who started making compromise in their life a long time ago. Conquering compromise. It's good news. You can make it. You can do it. You can be the light. You can be the example. You can be the testimony. God will do it. He'll do it. If you embrace him today. Will you stand with me?